how to influence your boss, how to get a promotion, how to be more present in conversations, how to work on becoming more patient, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 309 with expert coach, speaker, and author of the top book on listening in the entire world, Dr. Mark Goulston. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Before hopping into the episode, I want to tell you about my brand new daily, weekly, and monthly planner and video course called The Best Journey Planner. In this course, you're going to learn how to slightly improve in all seven pockets of your life, health, relationships, career, financial, personal, spiritual, and other, and you'll learn how to spike in one of them at all times. This is the path to get closer to the best version of yourself. You're going to learn how to define success in all of these seven areas every single month, and you're going to learn how that boils down to what it looks like on a weekly and a daily basis. Just go to go.nickcarrier.com slash the best journey planner to learn more. Again, go.nickcarrier.com slash the best journey planner. But for now, let's go ahead and dive into the episode. I'm super excited today to bring back the one and only Dr. Mark Goulston. I had Mark on a couple years ago to talk about how we can improve our listening skills, and today we dive deeper into that, and we dive deeper into how we can be more present with others and how to develop empathy. Dr. Mark Goulston is a Marshall Goldsmith MG100 coach, author or co-author of nine books, including Just Listen, which became the top book on listening in the entire world, and he's also the inventor of Surgical Empathy, and he hosts the My Wake Up Call podcast. Before diving into the interview, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast on Apple Podcast app, on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever it is that you listen and watch. And then be sure to share this episode with a friend while you're listening. Just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And be sure you're following me on Instagram at carrier underscore best you and follow Mark at Mark Goulston. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Dr. Mark Goulston. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super fired up today to have back on the one and only Dr. Mark Goulston. Dr. Mark Goulston, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Boy, am I excited. And right out of the gate, I want to give you some, can I give you some coaching? Bring it. I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. And what happens is when I speak to young, ambitious people who talk faster than I think, (laughs) <laughs> I, I I say, what happens when you talk faster than people think? You know, it, it's very transactional. But what happens is if you're not exactly on the same wavelength as people, they'll start to smile. And the smile is not a yes. The smile is, I don't understand what you're talking about. And often here's here's the blind spot for a lot of young, ambitious people is it feels so good to be talking. You're getting stuff off your chest. It feels like a high colonic. You don't even care if they're listening because you're talking, you're venting, you're getting the stress out. What happens is you you disconnect from whether the other person's even listening. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they will smile and it's not tell me more. The smile is they're they're really thinking like you're talking too much. You're talking too fast. Yeah, And then at the end of it, you think the smile is going to be, uh, what do we do next? Uh, yeah. In fact, let me ask you, do any of it, because I've been giving presentations to accelerators uh, to 15 startup companies at a time. So do any of your listeners fall into that category, entrepreneurs, young? So, yeah, some for sure. 
So, so let me just give you this little tip because because that now they're going to bring me in to coach all the startup uh, founders because they like this. And I said, this is how you pitch an investor. So can I write? Can I tell you what what the what the tip is? Yeah. So uh, when you're pitching an investor and they smile, it's not a yes because investors don't smile because it's all about money. And maybe they're smiling if you tell a joke, but you don't want to tell jokes because it can always go sideways. And when they're smiling, you think that means, oh, this is great. And at the end of the smile, they're going to say, what's our next step? But more often than not, they smile. And what's happened is they don't want to be rude because they've reserved 10 or 15 minutes for you. And after three minutes, they know it's a no. Mm. And so they're smiling like this. And I ask these startups, have you ever been in that thing? They said, just yesterday I had one of those. I say they're smiling because they don't want to be rude, but they've already, they've already figured out they don't want to invest in you. So here is the tactic that you can use and they used. And you have to modify it so you're comfortable with it. So when you're trying to pitch an investor and they smile, and your past experience tells you that what I'm saying is true, that they're smiling because they don't want to be rude. This is what you say. Can we press pause for a moment? And, and they're going to get nervous because you caught them blowing you off. <laughs> and they're smiling because they don't want you to catch them. They go, what? And you say, can we uh, press pause for a second? They're going to be a little bit off balance. And then this is what you do. It, it helps if you're on a, if they can see you. You put your hands up and you say, when we started this conversation, we were like this. Here's you, the investor with money. Here's me, the company that needs money. And we were equal, but it shifted like this now. And here's you, the investor with money. And here's me, the company you're not going to invest in. So I think what happened is you were listening for something or looking for something, and we didn't cover it. Now, I tried to figure out what you'd be looking for and listening for, but I'm not a 100% mind reader. And, and, and meanwhile, you've just read their mind, and they're just going to, they don't even know what to say next. And you say, given that we have a little time left, could you tell me what you were looking for and listening for that we didn't cover? Because by this time, you've lost the deal. They're smiling because they've already blown you off. And so they may fill in what they're looking for, or they may be uncomfortable. And here's what I told the startups, especially if you're a startup and you have a network of friends and you all do. What you say to this investor is, if they're a little bit awkward, you say, can I tell you an answer that I've been getting from other investors when I have this conversation? And they're going to be intrigued and they're going to say, yeah, 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 tell me. I could say some of the other investors I've spoken to have been really honest and they said, what I'm really looking for is a win. I'm looking for a company that I can invest in that actually gives us great ROI because I brought in companies that didn't. So I don't know if you can relate to that. I want to I want to dive deeper into 
Is that something, you know, you, you brought it up in regards to me speaking quickly and ambitious people kind of speaking quickly, but is this like a, something where if you're having a conversation with maybe anybody, whether or not it's an investor or not, and you see that they're smiling or you see that they're not quite getting what they might thought that they get, there's, there's some kind of thing there that the person needs to be aware that there's this gap and you can pause what it is that you're saying and ask them why there is this gap and, and how you can begin to close it? Well, you, you can do it. So, so we'll segue. If you want to find out more, people can contact me. So, you know, so how do we get the person to invest? So let's segue to what you just asked me because uh, a number of years ago, I contributed blogs to Harvard Business Review. And one of my earliest blogs was called How to Know If You Talk Too Much. Mm. And it was the most read blog of the week. And I utilized a friend of mine's traffic light rule, Marty Nemko, great career coach. You can look him up, Marty Nemko, N-E-M-K-O. And when my book, Just Listen, which is behind me, came out, he said, Mark, for a guy who wrote a book on listening, you're terrible. And he said, you need to follow the traffic light rule. And I said, what's the traffic light rule? He said, unless someone is inviting you to do a monologue, or a presentation, when you speak to someone, you have 30 seconds uh, before the green light where they're listening to you turns to yellow. And then you have another 30 seconds before the yellow light turns to red and you've worn out your welcome. And the problem is those 30 seconds feel like five seconds because it feels so good to be talking and getting stuff off your chest. Plus, it feels so good to you to be talking. I mean, I'm feeling good now because I haven't shut up, but it feels so good to be talking that you can't believe that you're wearing out your welcome with the other person. And I think it's important to be aware of this because there's a disconnect. How could talking that's making you feel so good be something that they're getting impatient with? So it's, it's, it's a good idea to, as you're talking with people, to really check in if they seem interested. And you can really tell it more from their eyes than from their mouth, because their mouth is going to, when they're feeling a little nervous and they don't want to be rude, sometimes they'll smile. But if you look into their eyes and you learn to do this, you'll see that their eyes are telling you, I've heard enough. What is the, you know, I think everybody, most people listening know the idea that everybody loves talking about themselves. And so you want to make sure that, you know, if you're trying to build a relationship with somebody, you're trying to build a connection with somebody that you need to take the time to listen to them and give them a chance to, to speak because everybody likes speaking about themselves and everybody likes speaking. What's the biology or what's the, the psychology behind why we like speaking about ourselves and how to use the knowledge to the answer you're about to give to make sure we're not speaking too much. Great question. I think what happens is <clears throat> as we begin to speak, we start to feel a surge of pleasure because instead of being bottled up, we're getting something off our chest and what we're feeling is pleasure. And what's going on is we're feeling dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter associated with pleasure. 
But what happens is when we're doing that, we're triggering a stress hormone in the other person if we're talking at them or over them or down to them. And that stress hormone is cortisol. So as we're talking and feeling pleasure, their cortisol is going up if they feel that you're talking at them, over them, or down to them. And the more cortisol that goes up in them, the more stress they feel, the more that high cortisol tickles something in their brain called an amygdala. And amygdala is sort of the point guard inside your brain. And there's a term that people who know anything about neuroscience know called the amygdala hijack. And what, and what that means is you, you trigger more cortisol in them from the stress, and that triggers their amygdala to hijack them away from being able to think. So they can't listen because they're feeling like they want to react with getting away from you or telling you, you know, you're talking over them or you're talking too fast, but they don't want to say that. So you want to be aware of this. And here is something that I'm going to share with you that I'm trying, I'm fighting an uphill battle in America, but I'm getting good traction around the world. So I teach listening around the world, but I can't get arrested in America teaching listening because Americans want to be listened to. They just do. And I've spoken in Moscow, Bangalore, Delhi, Mumbai, the UK, Canada, on becoming a better listener because they're more curious about it. And I last spoke in Moscow with a Nobel Prize winner named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. He's got a great new book out called Noise. Uh, and what I spoke to the thousand Russian businessmen in the audience, I said, I'm going to give you a secret that will change everything in your life. I said, and I said to them, if I focus on you listening to me, because you're business people, and I rattle off a bunch of bullets, points, You'll, re, you'll write them down, you'll try them, most of them won't work, and you'll say, well, they'll work for him, he's an expert. But if I'm entertaining and I give you good stories, you'll give me your mind for an hour. And then, Nick, I switched to my FM NPR voice, and I said, but if I focus, and here's the secret. I said, if I focus on what you're listening for, and I get what that is without you telling me, and I deliver on that, you'll give me everything. And then I said, is this what you're listening for? But rather than repeating my Moscow talk, we're going to do this with you, Nick, because I'm going to tell me if you feel a switch in your head, because we've kind of been talking to each other, although I'm not letting you get a word in. But if I focus on what you're listening for, let me put on my Swami hat here. What you're listening for, and try this on, is you want to give value to your audience. And by value, what you want to give them is something that they can use immediately. Something they can use immediately to become more successful, more impactful, get more business. And you're listening for guests 
who can, yeah, give a few insights like I'm giving, but you're listening for people who can give practical, tactical stuff where your audience doesn't have to buy a course or buy a book. They don't even have the time to do either because your audience trusts you to deliver value. And you don't take that trust lightly. I think you're also listening for so-called experts who are really stiffs. I mean, they are dyed in the wool boring because you have to protect your audience from them. And then you have to go back and tell that expert that you can't post the interview. So can you relate to any of what I just said? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. That's, that's, you know, pretty spot on. And, and so when I was spot on to what you were listening for, could you feel yourself calming down a little bit and shifting in your mind to, yeah, I really, I, my audience matters to me. You know, I'm not here to just sell them stuff. I want to make their lives better. Could you feel your mind shift a little bit? How can, almost playing right into what you said, how can somebody more deliberately on a day-to-day basis try to make sure when they're having conversations with somebody that they're speaking to them in the, that they're talking to them so that they're focusing on what the other person's listening for and they're not just speaking at them, they're actually speaking to them to something that will hit a nerve with them. How can people actually apply that on a, on a day-to-day basis in a conversation-by-conversation basis? Well, it's, uh, this is a little side note. Uh, I had breakfast with Larry King every morning for two years before COVID. And I watched the man, I watched his interviews. <clears throat> People loved being interviewed by Larry King because he was probably the most curious interviewer. He didn't give advice, which I'm giving. He didn't give opinions, which I'm not giving. Maybe I am a little bit. Uh, But what happened is he was intensely curious and people loved being interviewed by Larry King because he was intensely curious and he was never judgmental and he never hit his guests with a gotcha. Mm. And so what you want to do is realize that whoever you're with has something that matters to them that they're probably not bringing out, you know, because often we keep it to ourselves and we don't even know what it is. So when you're in a conversation, you can, uh, you can even pause and say, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'm misreading this, but I just picked up that you're listening for something that we're not talking about. And they're going to go, huh? You say, yeah, uh, you know, I know we're talking about this, but I picked up that you know, you're listening for something else. And it could be <laughs> that you need to tell me that, you know, you had to leave five minutes ago because your Uber's outside. So I'm not sure what it is, but can you fill me in what you might be listening for? Mm. Now you gotta, you gotta get comfortable with this. And then uh, what Larry King uh, would do. So he's focused on uh, what they're listening for, what they what his guests were listening for was to be able to speak their mind without the worry that someone's going to corner them and hit them with a gotcha. Mm. So here is an exercise because I like to give tactics. And if you follow this exercise and you do it one, at least once a day with one intentional conversation, because you'd like to be more present 
And what present means is the other person feels that you're really giving them your undivided attention. Present doesn't mean that you're selling. Right. Uh, that, that might be present for you, but it's really intense. Uh, and, and that's not presence, that's kind of overkill. So the exercise is called the HUVA exercise, H-U-V-A. And what HUVA stands for, and you might want to write this down, H is heard out, U is understood, V is valued, A is added value. So pick one conversation a day, could be in your professional life, could be in your personal life, and this is how you build the muscle. After the conversation, put yourself in the other person's shoes and rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 on all of those. So you have this conversation. Afterwards, you think of them. And on a scale of one to 10, how much did they feel heard out by you? Or did you interrupt it? Did you change the subject? Did you not let them finish talking? On a scale of one to 10, how much they feel understood by you? And you show that by asking them to say something more about something. So if they use an emotional word like uh, a great opportunity or terrific or awful, when they say that, say, say a little bit more about the great opportunity. Say a little bit more about the awful. And then that, that helps them feel understood. On a scale of one to 10, did they feel valued? So if they offer or they share something that shows particular smartness or insight, you, you actually, you pause and, and, you, and you show appreciation for that. You know, could you say that again? Why? You don't know how valuable what you just said is. Yeah. And then the final A is you added value on a scale of one to 10, you know, beyond the valuing, you might even say, uh, have you ever thought of applying that in other situations? What do you mean? What you said, you could use everywhere. So this is just an example. Yeah. And don't beat up on yourself if you begin to discover that you're awful at this. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, I mean, to me, when you were going through it, I feel like that's subconsciously my goal to try to hit a 10 on every single one of those, maybe despite that last one during every single podcast interview. You know, maybe I don't add, maybe I'll throw in a little bit of th things here and here and there, adding a little bit of value, but it's making them feel heard, understood by following up, telling me a little bit more about that, making them feel valued, being like, oh, that was freaking awesome point. I know everybody's going to want to write that down. I know everybody's going to want to go apply that. I know everyone's going to go buy your book. Like, I feel like those are kind of checkpoints that I can use kind of in my interviews and people can use in, in their everyday conversations too. And I think you're terrific, Nick, because I feel your sincere enthusiasm. I, I can feel how much you want to give value to your listeners. And again, Whoever's listening, watching this, you know, take this from a grain of salt with a grain of salt from a baby boomer who you're probably thinking, aren't you guys dead yet? Uh, uh, I, I, now, again, I, I'm not in your generation, but but I think if there can be w when you're asking them to go further, 
if the energy really feels more like you're inviting mm. than the energy of, uh, oh, that's really good. And I, it, it's a different energy. So, so the more that you can have an inviting energy that shows you're curious, the better. I, I remember years ago, I had lunch with a, I wasn't a, I was a baby boomer, but I, I had, had lunch with uh, some 230 somethings. And, and what happened is uh, the 30-something man asked the 30-something woman, you know, where'd you go to school? What'd you study? And, and they were good questions, you know, and, you know, icebreakers. And I took the 30-something male aside afterwards. I said, those are great questions. But I want to tell you, if I was a billionaire, and I know billionaires, you know, because I've interacted with them, I've had conversations with them. Um, I knew this fellow Eli Broad uh, in Los Angeles who died not too long ago. And I said, uh, here's, if you're going to ask questions, I said, you took a training course. And if you ask questions, you got to care about the answer. Because if you're just asking questions because you were told that was the right thing to do and you move the conversation along, then what's going to happen is it's not going to feel sincere. It's going to feel like this is something you were trained to do. And now let's quickly segue to the business at hand. Now, I understand you have to get to the business at hand. I'm just saying, I said, look, you know, you don't talk to billionaires. And if you talk like that to a billionaire, you're never going to talk to them again. Yeah. One of the things that Stephen Covey talks about in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you want to be kind of efficient with things, but effective with people. And a lot of times when we ask questions, we try to breeze by their answer because we want to go get to the next question or we want to get to the next thing. And that is a easy, surefire way to lose trust or lose a good reputation or a good relationship with that other individual. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, I, along these lines, what you're talking about in terms of rushing to the next thing, uh, one of the best pieces of advice that I heard was, unfortunately, with someone who did a lousy job. It was Jeff Immelt uh, at GE. So, you know, GE hasn't done that well. But a, a top executive coach named Mark Thompson was interviewing him. And I think you can find Mark Thompson, Jeff Immelt, a promotion and uh, and Mark Thompson said, what's your best advice to someone if they want to get a promotion? And what Jeff Immelt said is, whatever you're doing, do it like you're going to be doing it all your life. And what he meant by that is, whatever you're doing, if you're a parking valet, if you're a dishwasher, do it with passion and being in getting to the point where you're excellent at it. Because people are impressed with excellence more than what you're excellent at. You don't have to like basketball mm. to be impressed by LeBron James or Steph Curry. You don't have to like golf to be impressed with Tiger Woods. And, and I think what Jeff Immelt was saying is if you can be truly excellent at what you're doing, people will notice that. And they're going to ask you, what else do you do? And But the point is, if you're always racing to the next thing, people are going to pick up that you're not excellent at anything. Mm. That's, I think that's super profound that people are 
people are more impressed with excellence than than what you're excellent at. And I think that is so true because, you know, I I am personally riveted by so many people, regardless of what industry they're in, regardless of what their talents are, j- just by excellence and 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 when people are the best at at what they do. So I think that is super profound. One of the thing that keeps coming back is this curiosity thing and the importance of curiosity and the importance of curiosity in regards to making the other person feel understood and, and following up and that sort of thing. How can somebody who maybe is listening to this right now, who's thinking, I'm really just not that curious of a person. I don't really ask that many questions. I'm. How can that person start to build curiosity or, or is curiosity something that you either have or you don't have? So I'm one of the founding members of the Newsweek Expert Forum. And, uh, you know, you know, people write, contribute to Forbes, and now Newsweek is starting up. And my most recent article is teaching transactional people the power of empathy. Because transactional people are generally seen as non-empathic. And I'll just summarize it. But if you look up teaching transactional people the power of empathy, what I basically cover is imagine that you're a highly transactional person and your boss is on your case or your investors are on your case and, and their attitude towards you is don't bring me explanations and excuses, bring me results. And there, and, and there's uh, and you don't know what to do, you know, and you're stuck. It's a place where entrepreneurs often feel. And then, but you can't yell at them. You can't get angry at them. You sort of hunker down. You, you, you're scared and you're nervous. Uh, when you go home, you don't want to yell at your spouse or your kids because, you know, then you're a crappy mom or a crappy dad or crappy husband or wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. And, and so you're all pent up. And so imagine that frame of mind. You're ready to explode, but there's no place to explode. I suppose you can go out and get smashed and drunk, but you know, but then you feel embarrassed the next day. And so here's the power of empathy. Imagine that you do go back to your apartment and your partner and you and you snap at them. You know, they say something and you snap at them, and then they snap back at you and say, you know, who the F do you think you are? You know, you know, you know, don't blah 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 blah. You know, and then what happens is it escalates, and then inside you feel like, oh, I did that again. But imagine if when you vented at them, they said, wow, this is not who you are. What happened to you? And you go, what? And and they basically see goodness in you and something must have. And they say, what happened to you that this is what you just said and how you said it? And then imagine that you're able to start venting safely and they don't judge you. They invite it instead of escalating. What's going to happen is you're going to get stuff off your chest. And when you get stuff off your chest, you're going to calm down. And when you get stuff off your chest and you calm down, guess what? You can start to think more clearly and you're going to discover the answers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can you track with that, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think that that's definitely, I think that's very revealing in, in that scenario. I'm trying to, I think I want to, I'm more pointing towards if somebody is looking to 
gain value from a conversation, like a, a coffee or a lunch, or they're having a, a conversation with their boss, with their mentor, or they're trying to figure out what it is that they can do to get a promotion or better their health and fitness. But they're not looking, they're not looking for, they're not looking for the right solutions or they're not looking for the right questions to ask. They're not looking for the right problems to solve. Like how can that person become more curious to improve maybe their own lives rather than necessarily curious when like a situation like that comes okay, up. Okay. So here's an example. Um, uh, here's a couple ways to win friends and influence bosses. Okay. Okay. Um, what is, a, what is on most bosses minds? Make more money. And most managers minds. Yeah, they want to make more money. But if you try this conversation, you're going to get a smile out of them. And what you say to them is, uh, I want to run something by you. So you're the subordinate. Uh, because I, I put myself in your shoes. And I think I figured out what you want from our conversations when we get together. So again, you're trying to take it out of the transactional and trigger curiosity. And you say, can I share with you what I think's on your mind when we have conversations? Mm. I can't imagine a boss not being curious. And you say, I think there's four things you want. You want me to be relevant, meaning that whatever I bring up is tied to what we're trying to accomplish or whatever I bring up is actually something you can do something about. So you want me to be relevant. You want me to be clear so you don't have to dig through what I'm saying. You want me to be concise so that I don't go on and on. And then you want me to be gone so you can get on to your busy day. Might that win, might that win you? Would you like that if I was more relevant, clear, concise, and gone? And you said they're going to smile because unconsciously that's absolutely what they want. Getting down here in time, so I want to transition to the topic that we talked a little bit about prior to recording because I do think it is going to be very relevant and super intriguing to those listening. So we were talking about how millennials in general are probably more impatient, a more impatient generation because we grew up with the internet getting instant feedback, getting instant answers, instant solutions. We get instant gratification all the time, every single day. And you talked about how that can, is going to maybe come to our demise or come to be a negative thing with having kids. Yeah, here's my worry. Uh, and, and again, I there's a, there's a good chance that I'm just out of the loop, uh, you know, because I'm a different generation. But I'm noticing this. I'm noticing this at parks because I'm a grandparent and I see other grandparents. I see children. I see the grandchildren. And what I'm noticing is I believe millennials are more impatient because they grew up on the uh, on the Internet. You know, and their heroes are not really relationship people. Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. 
they're not known, Bill Gates, they're not known to be the greatest relationship people, but they're really great with technology and, uh, uh, and Moore's law and just speeding up, speeding up, speeding up. And so my concern is when you become a parent as a millennial, infants don't understand algorithms. Infants need patience. They're not able to clearly communicate, you know, when they're hungry, when they need you to hold them, when they need to be fed, and you have trouble figuring it out. So my concern, and I have seen this, is that millennials who are off have, have learned to be impatient out in the world, when that infant tries their patience, that one of the parents, more often the mom, because she gave birth to that infant, starts to become impatient but she doesn't want to get impatient at her child because she doesn't want to be an angry parent so what she does is she deflects it towards her spouse Mm. and i'm seeing more and more of that because as i said infants do not run on algorithms and you think you're checking the boxes uh, that will just calm down. Well, I checked everything, you know, I changed them, I fed them. And I'm worried about that because I, I see this and I hope I'm wrong. But I worry that millennial, especially millennial moms who get frustrated, they're sleep deprived, they're also working, and they don't want to take out their frustration on their infant. They deflect it and snap at their spouse. And the spouse is like, what do you want from me? So I hope I'm wrong. Uh, If I am right, and your listeners made it all the way through our episode, I hope they will, you know, comment or write you and say, let's let's spend a whole uh, other podcast on that topic, because it's happening to our family. Then a brief couple minutes, but in, instead of uh, being able to deliver a full podcast on the topic right now for a couple minutes, if somebody is like, holy crap, yeah, I'm impatient towards maybe my child or maybe I'm not even, it's not even I'm impatient towards my child. I'm just impatient towards somebody and I might be, uh, you know, deflecting it to somebody else. What can I start to do to begin to work on myself and begin to work on becoming more patient? Impatience begets impatience. True vulnerability begets patience. So if you're that impatient parent, uh, rather than deflecting your frustration and turning into anger that you direct at your partner, if you take them aside, and this is there's something that I call assertive vulnerability. And what you say to your spouse is, I need your help. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I need your help. It's I need your help with something. So they check that this is, you're going to be honest. And you look at them and you say, I'm scared. What are you scared about? Uh, I love our child, but I'm so tired. And inside, I just sometimes feel so angry and I feel I'm turning into a bad parent and I'm scared. And, and it doesn't seem to be getting better because my boss is on me. Uh, I'm scared. And you don't and, uh And if you're that spouse, uh, don't give them solutions. You might say, well, what what would you like me to do? If you try this out and you look at your spouse and you say, you're doing it right now. 
you're just let you're just letting me tell you. Yeah. Because what I usually do is instead of being scared, I get snippy, I get angry, I bark at you. And then I'm not only frustrated and angry at our child, I'm angry at you and it's a real mess. So am I hearing it right that one of the ways that you can work on your impatience is to simply take on that tactic of assertive vulnerability and say that and just kind of communicate that I am being impatient to somebody who's willing to listen? I I think the best thing is, and again, this is something that millennials don't talk that openly about. Millennials don't talk openly to another person about feeling hurt or scared. Right. What they do is they race into activity to distract from it. But if you can share that you're hurt or scared without dumping it on the other person, it's their fault, do something about it. And what I'm trying to do right here in this podcast is, is introduce you to, th- th- there's a, there's a way of just expressing that without making the other person feel like it's their fault or their responsibility. But you're going to have to try it a few times to see if what I'm telling you is true for you. Something I, th- I think what you said is, is really key and super true that millennials aren't very good at communicating when they're scared or when they're hurt and things like that. And they use other modes of releasing that hurt, stress, whatever it is to kind of get it out of them. Like so many people, like I'm in, I'm a fitness trainer. So I hear it all the time. People will be like, fitness is my stress reliever. Doing boxing is my stress reliever. Running is my stress reliever. And while I think that's, you know, obviously useful to have that output, that output to be able to release your stress, is that really solving the problem or is it just putting a bandaid on it? Like, do they need to find a way to communicate the problem to somebody else? Well, I think the exercise can help you calm down enough so that you're, you're not running on your amygdala hijack. Right. Um, but, but here's a tip that I'd like you to give, try with some of your clients because you're a fitness instructor. Uh, and, and work it in, and then you'll get back to me that it either backfired or opened up. Um, and uh, somewhere in your training, you know, you, could say, you say, can I ask you a question? And they'll say, of course. And you say, can you tell me about something that's going on that exercise doesn't relieve? Mm. You're going to say, what? Yeah, can you just tell me about something that's going on that exercise, you know, calms you a little bit, but it doesn't relieve. They're going to pause because you've just pivoted and they're going to look at you like, are you really asking this question? And and, you could, and, they, and they might say, why are you asking this? Because I care about, you may not understand this, but I care about your well-being more than I care about your fitness. And then they're going to open up and you're going to text me, Mark, they open up. What do I do now? Yeah. You just keep them talking. I need a psychologist. You just keep them talking and, and what's going to happen. And I don't want you to get freaked out, Nick, is you're going to let, you didn't make them cry. You're going to let them cry and they're going to cry. And so that crying is relief and you need to see it as relief as opposed to, oh, I just opened a can of worms. Yeah. And you just allow it to come. 
and I'll get through it. And you're not a psychologist, but you know some things you can say because this is like striking gold. And, and, and other questions you can say is, how often do you feel this way? Yeah. Uh, at its worst, how bad can that get for you? Wow. Um, what have you discovered that helps you get through it or get past it? Wow. That, the hoover, boy, that's really valuable. I'm going to try that. But do you follow what I'm saying? These are ways to open it up. For sure. And those are those are good questions, whether you're a fitness trainer or you're just having you're in a relationship with somebody who you feel is not getting out everything they need to get out. Absolutely. This has been awesome. I want to make sure I get you out on time. But before I ask the last question here, Mark, I, I just want to acknowledge you because you do such an amazing job of pinpointing a lot of issues that people have that are very that are pretty abstract issues that aren't super tactile tactile issues but you do a great job of giving tactile practices and strategies that people can start to apply to start to fix those things like you know what we didn't even really get to talking about your new audio course calls called defeating self-defeat but a couple of the things are talking about why people procrastinate and how we can make sure we don't procrastinate how we can make sure we don't take things too personally how to not let fear run ruin and run your life and run your lives and those are super abstract things that you give tactile things that people can do so, so can i give a quick tip because uh, because uh, the course is at himalaya uh, dot com forward slash defeat. And if you put defeat in, uh, in the uh, promo code, you can hear it. It's an audio course, but I, it, it looks at things from a different point of view. So I'll give you a little taste of it. So one of the early episodes is procrastination. And what I talk about is that we procrastinate, not because we're disorganized or we're lazy. We procrastinate because we're lonely. Because when we were kids and we had to do things and it was painful, but we didn't have a choice, we said inside, when I grow up, I'm not going to do this. So any, we procrastinate on anything that we anticipate is going to be painful. But my evidence that uh, we do it because we're lonely is a little organization called AA. The reason people stop drinking is you get to talk it out with other people. People don't give you advice. They hear you out. And so uh, because you all feel connected, all that oxytocin uh, lets down uh, uh, the stress. Uh, I also talk about, and I'll just share this anecdote, which uh, you might find interesting because you're a podcast host. Uh, I remember I was on a radio show with this wonderful uh, uh, host, and I said, anything you're procrastinating on? She said, yeah, I should write a book. Everybody says I should write a book. I said, how long have you been putting it off? She said, oh, a couple of years. I said, well, I'm going to prove what I'm saying is true. If you were to write the book, when would be the best time to write it? I think she said 6.30 in the morning. I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call you every day for a month at 6.30 your time, 3.30 in the morning my time. And I'm going to say, get to your computer. I'm waking up at 3.30. I may not get back to sleep. Get to your computer. And then when you're in front of your computer, I'm going to say, what's the question I should ask you so you can start writing? So we did that. And she told her audience, you know, that crazy psychiatrist, he's waking up and doing this. 
Six months later, she calls me and she says, what's your address so I can send you my book? I've listened to that story on your audio course, and I think that is, you know, definitely super revealing. And I know that through my experience with fitness coaching and fitness goals, a lot of people procrastinate on achieving their fitness goals or on losing weight or on doing this, on doing that. And me stepping in as their coach and me stepping in as their, you know, accountability partner gets them going and makes them feel not lonely so they don't procrastinate on it any longer. So I think that's awesome stuff. Um, and people, you guys need to go get that or check out the audio course again, Defeating Self-Defeat. You can go to Himalaya.com slash defeat. Use the promo code defeat and you can get it for free. And I'll make sure that's linked up in the show notes as well. You can get his awesome book, Just Listen. Um, that is one of the top listening books in the entire world. And, uh, yeah. And you can follow Mark on Instagram and social media at Mark Goulston, and you can follow his and listen to his podcast, my wake up call podcast as well. But Mark last, last question here. And I asked it to you last time. And so I'm interested to see what maybe has changed or, or tweaked, but I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't think we're ever at that best version, and I also think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get to that best version of yourself that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or work on? Well, I might need to hire you because I probably need to take better care of myself exercise-wise, dieting. Uh, those are still stress relievers for me. Mm -hmm. And my wife and my kids want me to be around for a long time. The second thing is uh, I need to be more present in conversations because I pick up speed. And for and my friend Marty Nemco was right that that uh, I, I need to listen more as a, as opposed to giving all this expert advice. Now people say, but Mark, it's pretty good advice. Yeah, but I could do a better job because my ego gets in the way. Uh, and then I think the other thing is I, I have trouble forgiving myself, but you know, when you're somewhat entrepreneurial and I got this advice from Jack Co uh, Cochran, he was the CEO of the Kaiser Kaiser Permanente Foundation. He said, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to always forgive your mistakes because if you can't forgive your mistakes, you're going to be making tons of mistakes as an entrepreneur. And if you know you're going to beat up on yourself, you're not going to take risks. Mm. So I think those things would help me. That's awesome. Well, those were three great things. Uh, super valuable information today. Dr. Goldston, I really appreciate your time and thanks for coming back on. No, thank you for having me, Nick. It's always a pleasure. Such a great follow-up interview with Dr. Goldston. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member. Be sure to rate it and review it on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. That's going to be the best way that you can support the show and be sure that these amazing stories and lessons get in more people's ears. Also, if you're interested in having that daily, weekly, and monthly planner that gives you confidence that you're always getting closer to your best you, then go to go.nickcarrier.com slash thebestjourneyplanner. Again, go.nickcarrier.com slash thebestjourneyplanner. But remember, in order to be more present in conversations, take the Whova approach. Make sure the other person is heard out, felt understood, felt valued, and they felt like you added value to them. 
Remember when having conversations with others to not be aimlessly talking at them, but by focusing on what they are listening for and make sure that you're speaking to that. And also remember that people are more impressed with excellence rather than what you're excellent at. There are some phenomenal lessons by one of the top experts on listening and communication in the entire world, and they will, without a shadow of a doubt, if applied, get you closer and closer to your best you. 